You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Some new hope for commuters who face the daily congestion going to and from the North Shore. An engineering firm has been hired to conduct a feasibility study looking at possibilities for a new link. Ted Chernecki has more on the options and why there's skepticism about this latest move. What to do about North Shore congestion has been debated for half a century. And in that time, nothing's been done except add two and now three sea buses. So what's another feasibility study going to accomplish? We already know we have a problem with congestion and not enough ways to get off from North Shore you know, free up some road space by making better transit. An international giant has been given the contract to conduct this latest study. Mott McDonald has been involved in massive projects worldwide. They even had a hand in the Newportman Bridge and Sea to Sky Corridor. But what might it see that others have not? Pretty much everything is on the table. What Mott McDonald Engineering is being asked to do is to find a technically feasible solution to connect the North Shore into the rapid transit network. Previous municipal governments have advocated an underwater Skytrain tunnel because Waterfront Station is a mere three kilometres to Lonsdale Quay. There's been a lot of talk about a tunnel. I mean, people say a tunnel could change things, but that's obviously a big project. Do you have any confidence that the government can actually do a tunnel or a Skytrain for anything under a couple of billion? We can't even get to UBC and we're talking land. There is potentially room for another lane on the second narrows, but right beside it, there's this rail bridge used by CN. In fact, the infrastructure already exists to run a West Coast Express-like train from North Van around to Waterfront. This study is going to be the first comprehensive study into a rapid transit solution for the North Shore ever. One thing is certain, whatever Mott McDonald comes up with, it won't be a solution to add more vehicles. BC has not the desire or the money to do anything but promote public transit. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A former Canadian Armed Forces corporal was sentenced today after being found guilty on multiple charges, including sexual assault and voyeurism. Retired Corporal Colin McGregor was sentenced to disgraceful dismissal and 36 months in prison. He was ordered to provide bodily samples for forensic DNA analysis and register as a sex offender for a 20-year period. He also has a 10-year weapons prohibition. McGregor has been released from custody with conditions pending an appeal. Vancouver police are appealing for witnesses for, of a deadly pedestrian crash. It happened during last night's rush hour. Police say the victim, a 33-year-old Vancouver man, darted into the street near East 49th and Tyne when he was struck by a Suzuki station wagon. He died at the scene. The driver is cooperating with police. This is the sixth pedestrian fatality in the city this year, and it comes with a safety warning from officers. At this point, it's, it's early in the investigation. What I can tell you is that the driver uh, has been cooperating with the police. Uh, speed, alcohol do not appear to be factors. Uh, it appears that this driver was simply driving down the road and, and the pedestrian did um, enter into the, into the street and, and that's when the collision happened. And the VPD is also looking for witnesses who may have seen someone vandalizing a patrol car on Dunleavy Street just after midnight Monday morning. Surveillance cameras caught the suspect from several angles. They were last seen running toward Oppenheimer Park. If you have information, you are asked to call police or Crime Stoppers. Tributes are pouring in for a promising young ski cross racer killed in a mountain biking accident. Michaela Martin was born and raised in Squamish and had her sights set on the Olympic Games. 
As Catherine Urquhart reports, her family and friends are remembering her commitment and passion for skiing. She was just so happy and so healthy and just ready to meet life fully. Michaela Martin's mother and father want the world to know their daughter was an amazing person. She loved to laugh. She liked silly jokes. She was so supportive. She was outgoing. She was easygoing. We'll miss so much about her. Now, Michaela Martin, she's also a bit of a rookie on tour. 22-year-old Michaela was a member of Canada's ski cross team, a young woman with big dreams. This year, she um, was going to be racing full-time in the World Cup circuit, and she was hoping to get on the podium for the World Cup. Um, but she really had her eyes on the Olympics in 2022. She wanted to go to Beijing. Tragically, Michaela died Tuesday while mountain biking with a friend on trails behind Stuwamish Chief in Squamish. Her dad says she hit a rock and her front tire jackknifed. She got catapulted off the bike and there just happened to be a tree right there that she, um, she hit. She hit it chest first, um, collapsed all her ribs, her lungs, um, he said she couldn't breathe um, and, uh, and she was unconscious and then gone within a few minutes. Um, he, did, he did CPR on her for an hour and a half. <laughs> a celebration of life is being planned for October 26th in Squamish. Family now focusing on the many beautiful memories created with Michaela over the past 22 years. We hope that all the people whose lives that she did touch can carry that forward and continue to make the world a better place because we'll miss Michaela. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, the Transportation Safety Board says the capsizing of a tugboat in the Fraser River last year shows a lack of awareness in the towing industry. The George H. Lead Corps had been hauling a loaded gravel barge near YVR when it capsized. In its report, the TSB identified safety risks, including insufficient training and a lack of knowledge about the effects of girding. That happens when a tow overtakes a tug, which puts the vessel at risk of capsizing. The TSB says LEDCOR has since taken a number of steps to reduce the chance of future accidents. They produced uh, or initiated uh, training sessions for their crew and masters uh, with regards to girding. And they have a simulation girding training in place, a two-day course. So that's done. They've... Uh, updated their um, safety management systems and included girding as a hazard and the ways to address it, as well as uh, using an assist tug in these types of situations. In response to the report, the TSB has also produced a video that explains the factors that contribute to girding and how to avoid them. Well, the latest Ipsos poll conducted exclusively for Global News finds healthcare is still the number one concern for Canadians. 89% say action is needed to protect our quality of care, but respondents differ on how to make the system sustainable. 43% of Canadians believe nurse practitioners and pharmacists should be allowed to offer more services, and 22% believe an increased focus on prevention and healthy lifestyles is the best way forward, while 9% of Canadians support increasing taxes on healthcare. But just how much Canadians are willing to spend has to do with age. 
Well, the reason that millennials are saying that they're want, wanting to spend more is that they realize that the, uh, probably more than anybody, that the, the system is not going to be around for them if we don't do something uh, to fix it. So if we can pay something in the short term to, to, uh, to improve the health care system, that would be good for them because uh, it would make it more sustainable going forward. A lot of the seniors feel that they've already paid for it. On average, Canadians polled are willing to spend $238 each annually to support the system. The polling also showed 8% of Canadians are in favour of more virtual doctors or remote medicine. And 6% say more privatisation is the way forward. This election, it's time to put health care back on the agenda. Meantime, Canadian health care professionals are calling on federal party leaders to invest in primary care. Organizations representing doctors, nurses, social workers and other medical care workers say Ottawa needs to create a new primary health care transition fund. The $1.2 billion investment would help establish more efficient and comprehensive models of primary care based on a team approach to patient care. Almost 5 million Canadians do not have a family physician or access to a primary health care team. And this is a shame in this day and age and will really make a difference in decreasing waiting times, in decreasing admissions to the emergency department and to hospital. So it is clearly the most important first step that we can take. Still, the biggest health care emergency affecting the country remains the opioid crisis, and the party leaders are, have varying approaches on how to fix it. One solution being floated here in B.C. is a vending machine that would dispense clean drugs to addicts. As Jordan Armstrong reports, a prototype could be in operation in a matter of weeks. Here on the hard streets of Vancouver's downtown east side, where the strip is filled with drugs and dates, the overdose crisis is on full display. And four years after British Columbia declared a public health emergency, the situation is still dire. Still people dying. Uh, it seems like uh, there's a lot of new faces all the time. In support of housing in particular. Karen Ward has been down here more than a decade. In this neighborhood, she's on the verge of being considered a senior citizen. Karen is 46. If you haven't seen somebody for a couple of weeks and then you run into them, you know, at, at, on the corner or on, in the alley, people are surprised. I didn't know, I thought you were dead. The names of the dead written on an alley wall. There's a lot of graffiti here. This one is new. It's a mural of addicts lined up at a machine that dispenses a clean supply of drugs. It's more than an idea. Dr. Mark Tyndall has a prototype which he hopes to have up and running soon. The idea of offering people a, a, a safe, regulated supply of drugs, I think, is what we do with any other poisoning epidemic. His machine, he says, will dispense hydromorphone pills, which is essentially synthetic heroin. He says what's been done so far clearly isn't working. Since 2017, more than 11,000 Canadians have died of an illicit overdose. In 2003, SARS killed 44 Canadians, and uh, that's happening uh, at, you know, per week now. How bad is it? Canadian life expectancy at birth has stopped rising for the first time in over four decades, something Stats Canada attributes to opioid-related deaths of young people in B.C. and Alberta. Here's where the major political parties stand. The focus of the Liberal strategy is treatment and harm reduction, not decriminalization. The Conservatives have called for further criminalization with an emphasis on recovery and prevention. The NDP pledges to declare a public health emergency and end the criminalization and stigma of drug addiction. 
but the party has stopped short of promising a safe supply. The Green Party says it would decriminalize possession and boost funding for treatment. This kind of devastation, one person a day dying, we don't want it to go elsewhere. The message from the downtown east side, whoever's elected, needs to do more. Jordan Armstrong, Global News, Vancouver. Job action could be on the horizon for some transit workers. Unifor Locals 111 and 2200 representing more than 5,000 bus drivers, sea bus operators and maintenance workers say talks have broken down with the Coast Mountain Bus Company. The union has scheduled a strike vote for October the 10th. Well, I believe the last strike vote we took was in the last round of negotiations, it was 98%. We know that our members are very frustrated out there and we know that uh, they're strongly behind their bargaining committee. So we'll see, everybody gets a chance to vote, but we expect strong support from our members. And students have been back in class for a month now, but teachers are no closer to a new contract. Let's bring in our Keith Baldry with the latest on the negotiations. Keith, uh, you've obtained a document that says the teachers union turned down a deal, but that seems to have disappeared from public view. Yeah, quite interesting, Sophie. So it's been pretty quiet at the table for the last week since mediated talks resumed last week. Uh, but this is a document, a, a statement from the BC Public School Employers Association Board Chair Alan Chell, in which he announces that they've asked the mediator to write a formal report, a step that can be taken under the Labour Code, an indication the two sides remain far apart. But potentially more explosive, he reveals in this uh, statement that the BCTF has turned down a formal offer from the employer, which matches those given to other unions. In it, he says, last week, we tabled to the BCTF an offer to renew the current provincial collective agreement along with 2% annual wage increases for a three-year term from July 1st, 2019 to June 30th, 2022. Unfortunately, the BCTF declined our offer to renew the collective agreement and provide their members with a wage increase. So the TF turning down basically an offer that's been made to pretty well every other public sector union and most of them have accepted. It's 2-2-2 two, two, and two. with a little shading around the edges. You can get a little more if you can engage in some give and take. Uh, that created quite a stir today. So the BCPC has taken down that statement now, hoping things can cool down a bit, because I think the TF are quite concerned that that was made public. Uh, Terry Morin releasing her own statement, the BCTF president, saying they respect the mediator's wishes and they're not going to have any comment. They want to respect what they consider to be a media blackout. The, the mediator here does have the power, Sophie, under the act to come back with recommended terms of settlement. If he does, he will not exceed the two, two and two given to other unions. Mm -hmm. So very much far apart, but it's an important step potentially to a conclusion here. All right, thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Well, it is day four of Variety Week here at Global, and we've already met some incredible children with special needs, and we've learned how Variety helps them and their families. Among other things, Variety can often ease some of the financial burdens by giving grants that average $2,500. That's per family. We want to help as many kids as we can. Tonight, if you call during the news hour, Connect Hearing will match your donation, so we're doubling your money. So give us a call right now. The number to call is 310-KIDS. And tomorrow, make sure you head to Vancouver Sunset Beach for the Variety Week wrap party. Our crews are there right now setting up a carousel and a 60-foot Ferris wheel. Join us tomorrow between noon and 10 p.m. Enjoy the carnival attractions and see firsthand some of the great work Variety does Plus, you can watch the News Hour broadcast live and location. Chris and Squire and I will be there, and our friends at CKNW will be joining us as well. Hello to all you listeners on CKNW right now. Uh, join us uh, at Sunset Beach tomorrow. We'll have a party.
and I don't think it's going to rain for the party, so it'll be a good time. Right now, though, the escalating tensions in Hong Kong appear to be spilling over into Richmond. Earlier this week, demonstrators who had set up a display in honor of the pro-democracy rallies were met by a crowd of Chinese government supporters. As Nadia Stewart reports, the situation quickly became heated and the display was trashed. It all started when demonstrators gathered at the Aberdeen station in Richmond on Tuesday. They used sticky notes and posters to build a Lenin wall, symbolizing a message of peace and democracy in solidarity with protesters in Hong Kong. But soon after it was built, the wall was torn down. We're getting updates about how there were a group of individuals and a growing group of individuals forming that were very much uh, starting to intimidate as well as act aggressively. Kevin Huang followed the events as they unfolded Tuesday afternoon. He says tensions have been mounting locally as the rallies draw supporters on both sides of the debate. He says pro-democracy supporters are putting their lives at risk by taking a stand. So the pro-Beijing organizers have been uh, taking quite close headshots of some of the organizers that have been attending the rallies. And there is the real danger that uh, people are being doxxed, so their information are being released online as a way to uh, attack them and silence them. From the video, what I've heard is that the Cantonese-speaking person said something like, uh, I will beat you up to death to the Mandarin-speaking person. UBC Asian Studies professor Josephine Chu Duke says in the video, words are exchanged on both sides, a sign, she says, of just how heated this debate has become. She's encouraging Chinese government supporters to reconsider how they express their feelings in this situation. But uh, since they immigrant to Canada, and they should try to understand this is a, a liberal democratic system. Richmond RCMP were already on hand just in case. And in the end, they broke up the two sides before the situation escalated. No one was arrested, although police say they will continue to keep a close eye on confrontations like this. Adios, Store Global News. The hearing for Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou was scheduled to wrap up this week, but the proceedings have been extended. Aaron MacArthur was in court today and has the latest. The disclosure hearing was only supposed to last eight days, but new evidence introduced at court over the past week means it will now stretch out several weeks more. Good morning. Good morning. Earlier in the week, Crown had made the admission that not only did the CBSA pass on Meng Wanzhou's cell phones and electronic devices to the RCMP, officers also gave up her passcodes to the devices in error. That information was not to be used by police in her extradition case. Defense jumped on that mistake today, alleging this was part of what they call a covert criminal investigation carried out by U.S. officials, the RCMP, and border agents that denied the Huawei CFO her rights. Thursday morning, providing evidence that while the passcodes appear not to have been shared, SIM card data and metadata from the devices was given over to the FBI. Information that an affidavit shows could be used to obtain the entire call logs of the device. Crown disagrees with that version of events, producing new unredacted documents that show emails were internal to the RCMP and not shared externally. Madam Justice Heather Holmes now has ordered a whole new round of documents be presented. Considering the volume of material that's at stake here, it could be weeks or months before a decision is made on this air of reality hearing. 
Meng Wanzhou's extradition case set to begin in January of 2020. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, it's a shocking sight on the Chequemus River near Squamish. Hundreds of dead pink salmon with other fish trapped in isolated pools. Linda Aylesworth tells us why conservationists are blaming BC Hydro and how it's far from the first time this has happened. On the Chequemus River in Squamish, an unpleasant odour hangs in the air as the last of the season's returning pink salmon spawn and die. This is normal. So the fish would come in right along the margins of the river, they would spawn, and then the carcasses, the bodies, would just sort of get washed downstream. They have achieved their evolutionary purpose, to propagate the next generation. The same can't be said for the pinks on the other side of the river. So this stranding happened about 10 days ago. And these are all fish that didn't spawn. She estimates 300 died in just two of the river's 15 spawning sites. They were left high and dry a few weeks ago, when BC Hydro reduced by half the amount of water released by the Daisy Lake Dam upstream. This following high water levels brought about by intense rain. The way we then brought the levels back down was at a rate that was intended to uh, preserve both the spawning salmon and the juvenile. But Chessie Knight, who studied the salmon here since 2003, says water levels were lowered too quickly in less than a day, giving fish no opportunity to escape to deeper water. Any hydroelectric facility, or at least most of them, in my experience, they do kill fish. But they don't have to kill fish as often. It comes down to how they operate the facility. I would say that it happens at least three to five times a year. Well, this is just one species. This is just the pink salmon dying this time. But we lose coho, we lose juvenile steelhead, we lose juvenile um, Chinook salmon. We've been learning from every ramp up and ramp down event on the Chequemus River, and we're trying to get better every time we do it. Well, they continue to say they're just studying it, they've got to find out more information, but it's been going on for years and years and years, right? And now we're just fed up with it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, Cirque du Soleil's Luzia is opening tonight under the big top at Concord Pacific Place, and our Christy Gordon is there tonight. Excited about the new show? I hear rain might be involved, Christy. Oh, yes. And we're going to talk about that rain. Sophie, the ra the reviews for this uh, Cirque du Soleil performance is really outstanding. But I'm here with the publicist for this performance, uh, Charlie Wagner. Now, she is really touting this as one of the best uh, performances. I mean, I... I think it's one of the best Cirque du Soleil show that we have. We transport the audience into this imaginary Mexico. So the audience travel into different tableaus that are where they will discover sound, faces, places of the country. And of course, it's a Cirque du Soleil show. So the story is told with a lot of breathtaking acrobatics. And of course, pushing the boundaries. You uh, were telling me about some of the rain, which will be really amazing. Me as a meteorologist, can't wait to see this. Yeah, it's the first time that Cirque du Soleil was able to integrate the water on a traveling show. So yeah, you're right. At some point, it's going to rain under the big top. And we integrated this amazing technology, which allows us to do so many different things with the rain. I don't want to tell too much because I want people to get a surprise, but it's just mesmerizing every night. They were doing some practices earlier, and I did some of the see some of the mesmerizing stuff. I can't tell you about it because it is really incredible, and you want to have that surprise. Thank you so much, Charlie, for having us here. Uh, it runs six days a week all the way through to the end of December. You can get tickets online at soleil.com slash Luzia. Okay, back to you, Soph. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Protesters try to stain a U.K. government building red, but things don't go as planned.
Oops. After just a few seconds, the fire hose explodes and the protesters lose control. A hose whipping around wildly and spraying the street with beetroot juice. A few bystanders tried to stop it, but they quickly realize it's too dangerous. Still, the protesters say they made their point about climate change. Several of them were arrested. A shooting incident in Washington state has killed one person and left two others wounded. Police were called to a senior's apartment building in the city of Vancouver after reports of shots fired in the lobby. The alleged shooter is a resident of the building and had barricaded himself inside his unit after the shooting. After hours of negotiations, police were finally able to take him into custody. During the standoff, some residents were told to shelter in place inside the building. Well, the prospect of losing even part of a leg would be daunting for anyone, but especially for a child. That's what Jacob Bredenhoff faced, along with 17 rounds of chemotherapy when he was diagnosed with cancer. The ordeal left him weak and exhausted, with months of physiotherapy ahead of him. That's where Variety stepped in to help Jacob get back on his feet. I know something wasn't quite right with my knee when um, I was having a lot of pain in it. Had to crawl up the stairs and wouldn't be able to play any sports or anything anymore. So we went to the doctor and we went for x-rays and blood work and four hours later we got a phone call telling us to come into the doctor and he told us that it was cancer. The diagnosis was osteosarcoma, so the same cancer that Terry Fox had, which is aggressive bone cancer. Jacob immediately began chemotherapy to shrink the tumors, but chemo alone wasn't enough. Surgery was required to remove both the cancer and part of his leg. The doctors gave Jacob some difficult options. So one of them was to have, like, <clears throat> rods placed in my leg, and I'd have a metal femur, metal knee, so then I wouldn't be able to do anything active. So I didn't really want that, and then... There is rotation plasty, and that gives you no limitations. You can do whatever you want, and that was really what made me decide on that. So rotation plasty is a leg amputation. Um, for Jacob specifically, they amputated almost his entire femur, and they took his knee, and they brought up the lower part of his leg, which is your tibia and your foot. They rotate that 180 degrees. They reattach it and your ankle now functions as a knee, which is a beautiful option because you keep the natural joint. After the surgery, Jacob had to go through 11 more rounds of chemo, a long and difficult time for Jacob and his mother to be far from their home in Abbotsford. And once they were finally home and surrounded by family and friends, it was critical for Jacob to start physiotherapy. He needed to strengthen his muscles and learn to use his new prosthetic leg. And that's when Variety was able to step in and cover the cost of at-home physio for Jacob so he could get back to his life on the farm. We do a lot of leg strengthening exercises to help the muscles grow because I'm using them a lot differently than I would have before. We try and do stuff that I it's different, like driving a tractor or riding a quad. This is where Variety is, is fantastic because they are uh, funding me to come and uh, treat him in his own home. And so it allows me to look at the things that are really relevant to him and his lifestyle and, and his family as well. Well, I just hope that one day I'll be able to do all the stuff I used to be able to do, like play basketball and run and do all, all the other things that I used to be able to do. Yay!
Well, so great to see him recovering. If you would like to help kids like Jacob with special needs who are across this province, give us a call now, 310-KIDS, or you can text the word KIDS to 45678 to make an automatic $20 donation. You can also donate online at variety.bc.ca. And don't forget, the donation you make during the news hour will be doubled, and thanks to our friends at Connect Hearing for that. Ah! He's running, he's running, he's running. Yep. Caught on video, chased by a bear on Mount Seymour. What these cyclists did to chase it away after the forecast. All right, let's check in with Christy Gordon uh, once again under the big top as Cirque du Soleil sets to <laughs> premiere its uh, latest show, Lucia, here. Rain inside and outside, Christy. Yeah, good point, Sophie. Exactly. Although there aren't any rainbows inside and we did see a rainbow outside. Here's a look, a quick look outside right now. I'll show you the rainbow in a second, but we have seen a bit of everything today from rain to some blue sky to uh, hail as well. But I just got this photo from Lynn Valley. Thanks, Greg, for sharing that with us. I knew we would find a rainbow, uh, but no rainbows inside here, but lots of rain inside the big top. I wanted to just quickly tell you, by the way, this is supposed to be a great show. This one specifically for kids if you're wondering there's a radar imagery we do have an upper level or low just off the coast of vancouver island that's spreading waves of rain bulk of that rain is south of the border but we're certainly seeing it on and off we have a slight risk of a thunderstorm tomorrow is going to be unsettled everyone so still cloud cover in the forecast with rain on and off you can see the waves that we'll experience right through into the afternoon hours also and i urge you to remember it's that time of year that we are still talking about snow on the mountain passes freezing level will be such that tonight and again tomorrow night we could see some flurries over the mountain passes so don't head into the Okanagan this weekend without snow tires that would not be wise there's your forecast for tomorrow everyone rain for the northwest some breaks of blue sky and through the caribou and south Okanagan uh, but otherwise for the south coast still unsettled tomorrow we're hoping for drier weather by the latter part of the day but I'm still expecting waves as rain so keep that umbrella handy tomorrow in the afternoon though on Saturday that's that's when we'll be back to sunshine. The weekend not looking too bad at all. So back to you. All right. Enjoy the show tonight, Christy. Thank you. Caught on video, a frightening encounter for a group of mountain bikers on Mount Seymour. Oh, yeah, maybe. Are you coming this way? Yeah. It's walking right there. Brad Martin and his friends were about to head down a difficult trail when they spotted a black bear that appeared to be stalking them. A few seconds later, things escalated quickly. He's running, he's running, he's running. Yep. When the bear gave chase, they raced down the steep trail as fast as they could go for more than a kilometer. But when they stopped, they found out the bear was still with them. So they did what you're supposed to do. They made themselves big and made a lot of noise. Are we all just have to put our bikes up in front of us? Yeah. Bikes we gotta stay together. We all be big. Yeah, yeah. Good. Ah. Well, after a lot of yelling, the bear finally ambled away. The North Shore Mountain Bike Association is now recommending riders avoid that area of the mountain for now. The Vancouver Aquarium's Marine Mammal Rescue Center is caring for a very unusual new patient that could be here because of the blob. This Oliver Ridley sea turtle was rescued by members of the public in Port Alberni on Monday. The turtle usually lives in tropical and subtropical waters, and when it was found, its body temperature was only about half what it should have been. 
One possible reason for being so far north, the warmer than usual area of water known as the blob, just off the west coast of North America. Well, right now we're still in the middle of stabilizing Bernie, so it's a bit of a, a long road for him. Right now he is um, obviously dehydrated because he's not eating, so we are giving him fluids uh, to combat that dehydration. Yeah. Bernie is the fourth olive ridley sea turtle olive ridley sea turtle recorded in BC waters. The plan is to gradually raise his temperature before nursing him back to health and hopefully someday releasing him back into warmer waters. A I was just going to tropical go, vacation. Yes, I was just going to go back to the bear on the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if the bear is thinking of himself. I'm uh, trying to figure out who Olive Ridley is. Okay, so the sea turtle was an oh, olive. Oh, because it's olive colored. Hang on. I don't know what the Ridley part is. Okay. So it was named after Olive Ridley, not her husband, not Oliver. Not Olive Ridley, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. The uh, Canucks weren't bad last night. They just didn't win. They were basically beaten by the Oilers' number one line. But as far as Vancouver is concerned, they had a pretty solid game. Tanner Pearson, 11 shots on goal, which is, I think, a couple off the team record by Pavel Burry. I also thought Quinn Hughes was solid offensively. Defensively, he's got a ways to go, but his passing is accurate. His shot turned out to be a lot more dangerous than anyone thought. In fact, Oilers defenseman Adam Larson is out six to eight weeks after blocking one of Hughes's shots late in the first period. And that block came just before Hughes helped Vancouver pin the Oilers down. That's the shot right there that broke a bone in Adam Larson's leg. And then after that, Quinn Hughes keeps the puck in to start the Canucks pressure. He even bought time for his teammates to change positions by holding onto the puck in this extended skate. It didn't amount in a goal, but it does show Travis Green has given Quinn Hughes the green light offensively. You know, he's going to tell me when he wants something different, but he's going to let me play. And uh, for me, I'm just going to try to do my best to help the team and help him win. Another sign of Green's confidence, Quinn Hughes was second in ice time on the whole team, behind only Alex Edler. He helped set up Tyler Myers' shot that was tipped in by Tanner Pearson. But what the Canucks most want to see is Hughes and Pedersen develop chemistry. I think we're, you're only going to see us get better. I, you know, I told someone this morning, I think, by game 30, you're really going to see us, you know, um, you know, be at our best. Not that we're not right now, but I think as the season goes on, we'll get better and better. And I think that's just us making plays and um, using our creativity in the ozone. Quinn Hughes almost checked the puck away from Connor McDavid before he scored the winning goal in the third period. A game where the Canucks think maybe Edmonton's victory wasn't fully deserved. You know, I thought, you know, I thought we played honestly for 50 minutes of that game I thought we were the dominant team out there and, and played really well especially on the road but um, obviously that's just the way it goes you have to play a full 60 minutes in order to win Rangers Jets and it's a goal by the bread man Artemi Panarin who is now making big bread over 11 million a year with the Rangers scores there to make it 2-1 in the second Nick Ehlers they want him to do better this year in Winnipeg. This is good. Speed down the left wing. Blake Wheeler's coming in. Give it to him. Goal. Former Jet, now Ranger, Jacob Truba against his old team. And he will score and help the Rangers beat the Jets 6-4. to four. Summerlin, TPC, about 10 miles from the strip way out in the distance there of Las Vegas. And this is Nick Taylor of Abbotsford. What a day he had. 
This is an eagle putt. Didn't make this, but he actually had an eagle on a par four by driving the green and making the putt. Hit all 14 fairways today. Didn't miss a putt inside 12 feet. Is a one-shot lead at eight under par. Adam Hadwin's at four under. Roger Sloan plus two. Bianca Andreescu, we watched her yesterday at the China Open. Now let's see how she does today against Jennifer Brady. Winner to the quarterfinals. That's nice. a nice little drop shot there. Andreescu has more of that. She would win this in straight sets, 6-1, 6-3. So what's that now? 17 straight matches, 17 straight wins. She's got uh, Naomi Osaka tomorrow. Whoa, my eyes. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks going with the action green, which means action from Wilson. Wait for it. Wait for it. There we go. Tyler Lockett. Is this a touchdown? Got to get both feet in bounds. Count them. Ball in hand. One, two. That's a TD. It's 14-6 in the second for Seattle. Playoff action. Braves, Cardinals in Atlanta. Game tied 3-3 no longer. Marcelo Zuna will score two by doubling to left. It was like a bar in the top of the ninth inning. They were pouring doubles all night for the Cardinals. This also a double. Colton Wong scores two more. They would hold on, the Cardinals did, for a 7-6 win in game one. And, and there, body painting. Is that what that is? Yeah, okay. the Fiji uniform. And watch Fiji go against Georgia. Ari Ratanayarawa will get the final run here, which almost went the distance of the field. Fiji had a huge second half and beat Georgia 45 to 10. The other game, the Ireland 35, Russia nothing. There you go. A four-year-old boy in Indiana is getting international attention for breaking gender stereotypes. Of course, he doesn't understand any of that stuff. He just likes playing with his favorite toy. At four years old, rough-and-tumble Jensen Fritz knows all about baseball, tanks, dirt bikes. But his real love are his babies. He goes on here. His mom, Ashley, says it started with a trip to pick out a toy a few years ago to help her sons cope with their father Daniel's deployment to the Middle East. He walked over to the doll section and he looked up to the shelf and he pointed at the baby and he said, I want that baby. Jensen named her Three and soon was taking her fishing, playing dress-up, strapping her to his bike, and showering her with hugs. One day, his mother, a photographer, decided to snap some pictures. He thought they were beautiful. That's what he said. Yeah, those are beautiful. <laughs> That's what he said. So I posted them. And like lightning, her images started racking up the shares and the likes. But then came the prejudice and hate. They thought because he's a boy... And not only a boy with a baby doll, but a boy with a doll that is not the same skin color as him. And I think that people just couldn't grasp the concept. For Jensen, it's all pretty simple. The girls should be able to play with what they choose, and boys should be allowed to play with what they choose. Because one day, these little boys, they're going to need to know how to nurture and care and, and love. I think it's incredible what he learned from us and applied it to the babies. Allison Jensen is happy to teach, piling on dolls and dresses, and reminding us all how to play. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Shelbyville, Indiana. Hazards of being a reporter. 
All right, before we go, let's take a look at how many kids your donations have helped so far during Variety Week. We started it on Monday, and since then, we have helped 150 kids with over $375,000 in donations. But you know there's still so many other kids and families to help. So keep those donations coming in. Keep those phones ringing, 310KIDS, or go online to variety.bc.ca or text the word KIDS to 45678. Thank you to Connect Hearing for doubling donations during the news hour tonight. And don't forget, we will be down at Sunset Beach tomorrow for the Variety Week wrap party. It starts at noon. It goes till 10 p.m. We have a 60-foot Ferris wheel, which Squire will not be getting on, but you can certainly go for a ride with me. We have other carnival attractions. You'll get to see the great work Variety does. Squire will be there. I'll be I there. I will be there. Chris will be there. Uh, CKNW will be there. You're going to play video games, aren't you? you do I have to do it inside the Ferris wheel? No, you don't oh, have good, to go I'll up in the it. Ferris wheel. Okay, we'll make you do that. But come and join us tomorrow. There's the Ferris wheel. Oh, there right it now. is there. It looks so from, yeah, from here, oh, it looks right. very, very benign. Fine.